God has lots of good encouragement for us tonight. I love it when he gives me a message that has encouragement. And uh, the title of our message tonight is The Love, Hope, and Help of God. Any of you ever need some love? How about some hope? Need some help? Okay, this is all about the love, hope, and help of God. But like so many stories... So many love stories and hope-filled stories. There's some serious difficulties that need to be faced along the way, yeah? Yeah. Are you ready? Get your pens out. Got some air flap through your Bible pages. Got some note-taking paper. Okay. I'm going to start off with a a story, if you don't mind. There was uh, an alumni. I'm going to call him Kurt. Um from many years ago, who ended up in uh, prison in Yakima, one of our Chi Alpha alumni. Um, unfortunately, uh, he had groped an employee in the business that he was managing. And uh, he admitted to the woman's accusation. He was sentenced to jail and spent about a year down in the prison in Yakima. And um, I had the opportunity to go visit him at uh, Ministry and to him and encourage him a couple of times, and, and Kurt certainly needed that. Uh, it's really kind of a terrible place down there. If you've ever been incarcerated, you know what I'm talking about. That was, it's not a good place you want to hang out. Uh, it's not a happy place. Um, and after he had served his time, he was released, and he was restored to his wife, who did forgive him over a long process, and um, God changed his heart and worked in him greatly, and they have a really strong marriage now, and things are going swell. Um, Kurt saw that what he did had hurt the woman that worked for him and it devastated his wife and he determined that he would not do that again. It's a great story of of repentance and and restoration under the hands of Jesus, the work that he did in his life. And I want us to remember this story as we start our quarter-long series on the book of Romans, uh, because the author of the book of Romans, or the letter to the Roman church, is a guy named Paul, and he wants to show we, his readers, and especially the first readers, that God is the kind of God that absolutely loves to set prisoners free. God is in the business of freeing captives, restoring lives, changing them from the inside out and making them solid, strong people again. So the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans is one of the most loved and and valued uh, books of the entire Bible, and we could ask ourselves, why? Why do people love it so much? It's simply this, because it has extremely good news in it. Uh, It's about how you and I can be restored to a right relationship with God, whether it's our very first time or our 99th time after we've screwed up again. God is an amazing God that sets us free from the things that grab a hold of us and drag us down. Um, it, it's, it's kind of a love story, I'd say, but the God is always going and bringing us back to himself. It's, it's very good news about how you and I can be made right with God as well as escape uh, what we will read tonight uh, is his wrath on the day of judgment, which the Bible assures us is coming. Romans is about how God himself can set us free from attitudes and actions that hold us prisoner. You ever had an attitude that you didn't 
seem able to shake that you knew you shouldn't have? How about some actions that seem to be getting habitual that you thought, oh, this is not right? Anybody besides me? Yeah. Yeah. God wants to invite each of us very personally into his story of love. Uh, He wants to give us hope. He wants us to know for certain that he is the one who is there to help us with all, well, the stupid things we do and all the wrong choices we make and all the, uh, the paths that we go down that ought not to have been gone down. He wants to give us hope and let us know he's there to help. Um, yeah, God is a God of love who's in the business of turning our lives around and getting us on track again. And because of his great love for us, he has devised this plan to release us from prison, any prison that we find ourselves in. It's an amazing plan. How many of you would like to get just a bit freer tonight? Just, you know, yeah. Um, the God who loves you wants to assure you that he is in the freedom-bringing business, and he is going to get you a bit freer tonight. So just, he's got his hand stuck out. Grab hold. Let him pull you along with him, because he knows the way. Uh, so, what do you think? Sound interesting? Want to read Romans? See, see what, what it's all about? Uh, we've, we've got um, Judah over here is going to read the first seven verses, and he's going to tell us the beginning of the gospel. Thanks, Judah. Did you know that the Roman church to whom this letter was first written a couple thousand years ago had uh, two big categories of people in the church? There, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. And Gentiles is just a fancy name, uh, a Bible name for anybody who wasn't a Jew. <laughs> okay, so there's these two categories of people in the church. And guess what? The Jews and the Gentiles historically throughout time didn't like each other. So why does Paul write this letter? Well, besides the fact that he's going to go on a missionary journey to Spain, he's going to start over in the Middle East and he wants to stop in Italy and move on to Spain. Besides that, and he wants to be refreshed and encouraged. He wants to really help this church along its way because all the churches back in the writing of the New Testament were brand new. Can you imagine a time where Christianity was brand new? The story of Jesus dying on the cross, being buried and rising from the dead was brand new news? It was like, we'd say, blowing people's minds. Yeah. He knows that God longed to transform uh, the Roman believers' thinking about one another. He wanted the Jews and the Gentiles to love one another as God loved them. And he knew that both groups had kind of wrong-headed thinking about how how a person is made right with God. And that is just the human condition. Most of us today still have wrong-headed ideas about how a person can be made right with God, to have that clear connection. Well, the Apostle Paul, he wants both groups to know that they are really loved by God. Now, I want you to stop for just a moment. Ask yourself a hard question. What prejudices do you hold in your thinking? 
What groups of people don't you like? There's probably more serious ones than I hate the Yankees. I'm a Mariner fan. But it's not a deep, horrible hatred. I could probably go out to lunch with a Yankee fan and wouldn't come to blows. But God probably seriously wants me to love them more. I don't know why he would, but probably. So let's talk about the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ for just a minute. What does it mean, this word gospel? Well, if you're a Greek major, you know it's euangelion. You know, it would be spelled E-U-A-G-G-E-L-I-O-N. Of course, I'm not going to repeat it. And it means good news. It was often used um, to refer to the message that an official messenger from the emperor, you know, from Caesar, that official message from Caesar that would be brought and announced publicly, that was the gospel, the good news, because Caesar only uh, shouted out about how good things were going. He never sent out messages publicly of the bad things that were happening. Those all went privately. You got it? Yeah. You claim uh, success, and you never admit defeat if you're a Caesar, that kind of a thing. So that was the gospel. Uh, So it was fitting that the Apostle Paul uh, used this word uh, when he talked about the message that came from the true emperor that was being delivered throughout the Roman Empire. The true emperor is God himself and his son that he sent to earth, Jesus Christ. So Paul just co-ops that word. He says, this is the true good news. Hmm. So both the Jews and the Gentiles had incorrect thinking about who the real authority figure over earth was. Uh, the Jews thought, you know, it would be like the high priest and, and the, uh, the kind of leading families in, in Israel and uh, of course, the, the Gentiles thought, well, the one, the one who certainly has authority now on earth, it would be the Caesar and the, the governors and such. But Paul wanted his readers to get clear that there is somebody who has far greater authority. And maybe God wants us to get that through to ourselves as well, that there is one who has absolute authority over all of our lives the one who created us, the one in whom we live and move and have our being, the one uh, who, apart from, we would not exist. He created us. Therefore, he has authority over us. Uh, The Bible, in some places, even talks about how God owns us. Very foreign concept to Americans. Yeah. Anyway, Paul viewed himself um, as a messenger from God delivering God's message of good news about his son Jesus, the unique son of God, um, because Caesar called himself son of God as well. In fact, every king everywhere on the planet called himself a son of God. And so Jesus is the unique son of God, the true son of the one God who does exist. Um, The Jews had a prophetic message from the Old Testament that one day... uh, A new king would come, a very good king and powerful king who would actually rule over the entire planet 
forever. Um, any king was called a messiah, but they looked forward to a special messiah. It's a fancy word means anointed one, because that was their inauguration ceremony. Instead of putting their hand on the Bible and saying, you know, whatever we say, uh, they would just pour a bunch of oil on their head and say, you're the king. That's <laughs> kind of messy. Okay, but um, besides that you got really good hair conditioning from that, um, it's simple. <laughs> Who said that? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it really does help. Um, Besides that, it symbolized the, the very presence and the anointing, the flowing of God's Spirit all over the king to do the job of, of ruling. And God is in the business of always wanting to put his Spirit on us and in us to accomplish the things that he wishes um, on earth. Uh, so anyway, the Messiah, the king promised to come from the Jewish people. Uh, it was said of him that he would set the whole world right again. Everything that was wrong about it will be made right. And isn't that a yearning in our hearts when we stop to think about it? Wouldn't you like the world to be put right again? All the screwiness, the horrible things that happened to be eliminated. Yeah. So God loves this planet full of people that he created so much that he made a way for us to experience his love, to receive his hope, and benefit daily from his help. Where does God begin to get all this to us that we really need, this love and and, and hope and help? Well, it comes from telling us a story. How in the world is a story going to help us? Well, it's an amazing story, and it's true. It's no fairy tale, and it's a story about how God sent his son, his only begotten son, to be crucified, to get sacrificed, to, to be murdered, executed by the Romans on a cross. And somehow, mysteriously, hard to wrap our mind around the mystery of how that death of God's perfect sinless son actually paid your punishment and mine for our wrongdoing. How that, all our sins were somehow actually placed on him and killed him, not the crucifixion. And that sets us free from our guilt and shame. And begins the liberation story. Amazing. Incredible. And God invites us to leave our old story of shame and guilt and problems and difficulties and brokenness and relationships not going well or whatever to join the story of his love. To join the story of the hope of freedom and the help, daily help in life's many difficulties. And then, and then eternal life when we die. Life beyond the grave. Just like Jesus who rose from the dead. The promise of the gospel is we too will rise from the dead. This whole setting of the world right again by the Messiah began with setting people right in their relationship with the Creator through faith in what Jesus did by believing that that man who hung on the cross somehow makes us right with God again. That the record of our wrongdoing is wiped clean. Would you like your sins never to be held against you? Would you like all those things that you ought to have done and you know you should have done, all the guilt of your not doing this to be wiped clean? 
and the guilt and the shame of doing things that you know you ought not to. Just wipe clean. Clean. They never happen. Is that incredible? That's the gospel message right there. We can be made right with God. We don't have to fear being before him. We understand that rather he welcomes us, not condemns us. Oh, I get excited about this message. You've heard it before, but you need to let it sink in every time you hear it. Let it free you a bit more. The message is about you and me being called to belong to a king named Jesus, to become one of his very own people that he loves. We're granted well-being. We're granted security of knowing that we belong to someone and a people, but not just belong. He wants more for us. He wants us to have the ability, the power to live in obedience to God and his good ways that we seem to be able to not do on our own. He wants to give us the power. And so when we choose to believe, what happens? He puts his spirit right inside of us. And God himself helps us every day by his spirit to learn better and better. Gradually to obey. Like it says in Romans 8 verse 4, you could write that reference down. The righteous requirements of God may be fully met in us who do not live according to our effort, but according to the Spirit. The book of Romans is so full of good news. You've got to read this book. Here's a question. What are you putting your faith in? Your own wisdom to direct your life? Or your creator's wisdom on how life is to be directed? You remember that story about Kurt that I talked in the beginning? Yeah. When Kurt put his faith in himself to meet the wishes of his own lustful desires, it didn't go well for him, did it? No. It went quite poorly. But when did Kurt's life start to turn around? When he re-put his faith in Jesus Christ and trusted again the indwelling Holy Spirit to get him on track. And don't we need that about every other day? Let's be honest. We need the gospel message every day or two to be reminded that God loves us. He's not going to condemn us for what we did, but he's there to free us Let's read Romans. Let's see. Let's have Cassidy read Romans um, 1.8 through 17. And let's ask the question as she reads, what does faith have to do with the gospel message? Thank you, Cassidy. So what does faith have to do with the gospel message? I don't know if you noticed, in these ten verses, the word faith was used five times. It's like at the beginning of his letter, Paul wants to say, hey, notice faith. What I'm telling you is all about faith. How things start getting made right again is all about faith. 
Why so many times is he talking about it? Well, because the Jewish Christ followers in Rome were used to their old way of thinking. Their old way of thinking was this, that only by their obediently practicing certain religious requirements could they earn God's favor. They're very much um, like my Muslim friends today. You have to do the five pillars all the time to have any sense of assurance that the deity might like you. It's a lot like my Mormon friends. They have this and this and this to do before they can, in a sense, earn their status with the deity. Yeah, and unfortunately, too many Christians today also think exactly the same, even though the Bible clearly teaches that this is wrong-headed thinking. Salvation, being made right with God, has nothing to do with any of our efforts whatsoever. Zippo, period. Zilch. Empty set. Ooh, that's a college term. Right there. What do you think makes you right with God? Why is Paul writing about faith? Because Paul wants his readers to know that the good news is accessed by faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross, and it has nothing to do with our human effort. It's all about faith in what Jesus did, his finished work. There's nothing to add to the work that Jesus did on the cross. That was the work of salvation, done. Died on the cross for all of us, rising from the dead on schedule. On the third day, as he predicted. Listen to this, people. God himself makes us right with him. We don't do it. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love, his affection, his approval, his acceptance. Nothing. He simply loves you and me. He takes it upon himself to repair the broken relationship between us and him the first time and every time. He longs to repair whatever needs repairing tonight and tomorrow and the next day. He will take it upon himself to take the initiative to bless you so that we can learn his love and then be a blessing to everybody around us. Being made right right with God by faith from first to last, that is what it is all about. Romans 5.1, that's a reference you could write down. He says it this way, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's ask the question, what is faith? It's a Greek word, pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. It means to believe or to trust someone or something. Let me give you an example. Um, In high school, um, I like to run a long ways. So I joined the cross-country team. I love running. I love the runner's high. Does anybody know? Oh, my gosh. People wonder why people run. Well, until you run, you don't know how good it feels. It it feels horrible until you get to that point. (laughs) Then it feels good. Let me assure you, you have to push through that horrible feeling. Anyway, Rod Hallman was the team captain. I was just a lowly freshman. And Rod Hallman was setting district records all the time. He was an amazing runner. And he cared about every member on his team. So he invited me to train with him throughout the winter. And I agreed, maybe wisely or stupidly, I don't know, because it, it's cold in the winter. And he would, he would make me run so far. Right, don't you think we should go back to the high school now? Oh, no, I don't think so. And then he would like run me up and down Seaham Hill in Bellingham. It's like in the snow. Rod, I'm slipping over the place. He says, I know, it's good for you. 
just keep going. I want you to know that you can keep going. Right, it's uphill. I know, that's the point. There are many hills in our races. You know, he would just make me do this hard work. He knew what it would take to turn me into a good runner and the next team captain. I didn't always like training with him. But his interest in me paid off. I did end up becoming the team captain. I did medal in the sub-district meet. I earned a full scholarship to college. I was able to run an entire marathon a few years later. I trusted what he said and how he trained me. I became a different man because I listened to my coach, who was my teammate. Our real coach, all he did was stand around and smoke cigarettes. So (laughs) he wasn't all that great. Yeah. Okay. Isaac, you got a Bible? Okay. We're in chapter 1 of Romans 18 through 25. I put my faith in Rod. He trained me. Paul is saying, when we want to be made right with God, we have to put our trust in his Savior, his Son, Jesus Christ. And here in these verses, 18 through 25, is an example of of what happens when people do not put their trust, their faith, their hope, their everything into Jesus. It just starts going from bad to worse. It just goes wrong. It's like a train that derails, eventually falls over, and then burns up in flames. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's like. Not happy. Apparently, please listen to this, God has a different standard of morality than the world today does, than the world back in the Roman Empire does, than this campus does, than your friends do, perhaps even... You and me do. What is God's morality based on? I'm going to give you a contrast between his morality and the world's. What is God's morality based on? His is based on love. What is the morality of the world based on? Of this campus based on? Your friends, perhaps yourself. The morality of we humans seem to be based on self-interest. Why does God get so angry that Paul had to use the word wrath? Because he knows that when we don't receive his love and pass it on to others, we get hurt and we hurt others. And that makes him mad. He says, I didn't make all these people so that they'd be hurt all the time. He knows our moral attitudes and actions hurt ourselves and hurt others. How could his great love for us put up with it? He could not put up with it. He had to do something. Let me give you an example. You have no idea how much you can love someone until you have a baby. I mean, I thought I knew the epitome of love after marrying Carol. Oh, baby. But when Nathan was born, and I held his scrawny little body, and just held him to me, and he he would just like melt into me. It was like flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. This is, I helped create this kid. It changed me forever. 
I'd do anything to protect that little kid. You know, he's a big guy. I'd still do anything for Nathan. God will do anything for you. He will do anything for you. Because he loves you. And you've got to understand that. And it's because you don't understand that that you keep doing foolish things. And leaving the right things undone. Mm. God is angry because he loves us. <laughs> he wants us to be freed from sin so that we can receive his best and be blessed and give others his love and blessing. Maybe our problem is this. We think that we know better than God. Hmm, write that down. We think we know better than God. Here's the question. Will we leave our story to join God's story and benefit from his love, hope, and help? Or we, will we continue in our foolish way and think that we know best? God's best for us will always include these three things. Others-focused love. When you notice that you are not focusing on loving others, you have started to leave the path of God's best. God's best for us will always include our self-control. When you notice yourself getting out of control, you have started to leave the path of God's best for you. God's best for us will always include our worship of God. When you notice that you see, <clears throat> stop worshiping God, there's no longer an interest to thank him and, and, and maybe sing a song to him in your heart. And notice his creation. You've started to leave the path of what's best for you. God's best for us will always include our obedience to him as revealed to us in the scriptures what we need to be doing. When you see yourself starting to not do what's in the book, you know you're off the path of what is very best for you. Capiche? Let's read verse 26 through 32. George, you got a Bible? Yeah. yeah, that's what I like about you. Verses 26 through 32. Thank you, George. In this sad few sentences, we find out all kinds of attitudes and actions that become prisons and lock us up and keep us from experiencing the love and the freedom God has for us. And we find a, a list of the Gentile sins that were rampant in the Roman Empire, and especially in the capital city of Rome. Um, let me ask you a pointed question. What prison would you like to trade for freedom tonight? God is all about a prison break tonight. He wants to break you out. Anything from small to large, he would love to give you more freedom because he loves you so much. So what's Paul's strategy in writing this letter to the Romans? He, he wants to explain in chapter 1 that all the Gentiles are guilty of sin and in danger of God's wrath. And then when we get to chapter 2 next week, uh, he will explain the same thing about his Jewish readers, that they are sinning and objects of God's wrath as well. And then by Romans 3.23, he's going to sum it up and say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're all sinners. <laughs> 
that's his point. He says, you guys are in trouble. You're drowning in sin. And which reminds me of when I was a kid. I hated lifeguards. Did anybody hate lifeguards? They always told me, stop running. Stop walking so fast. No more pushing. I saw you splashing that kid. No more holding them under. All this stuff that was fun. <clears throat> they were killjoys. They served no useful purpose. Until one day when I almost drowned. And for the first time, I understood what lifeguards were for. They were there to save your life. They were only concerned about your well-being and everybody else's. Paul's letter to the Romans is to show both Jews and Gentiles that they are drowning and that Jesus is the lifeguard, the rescuer. And they better let him rescue them or they're going down for the last time. Why is God so angry at the end of this Section here, because sin is hurting other people and he wishes to protect us. He knows you and I get stuck in prisons of attitudes and actions that are harmful. And like any amazing, perfect parent, he steps in to intervene. And God intervenes in two ways. Two. Two ways. He'll intervene in the present for the Romans and for us and say, you know, just turn away from sin and put your faith in Jesus. We'll get it all cleared up again. He'll intervene in the present, or he'll intervene in the future on Judgment Day. He'll say, sounds like you don't want to hang out with me. Sounds like you don't want my love and help and hope. Well, have it your way. Go into eternal darkness. You don't ever have to see me again. He's taking action. He's a God who takes action because he's a God of love. Love is not passive. He intervenes. This intervention will rescue us completely for this life and the next, and it's a very big deal to him, and he wants us to take what Jesus did very seriously. There's a day that he will separate us like sheep and goats are separated by their shepherd in the Jesus story in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, um, 31 through 46, Jesus says, When the Son of Man, that's Jesus' name for himself, when I come again in my glory and all the angels with me, I will sit on my glorious throne and all nations will gather before me. I will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And I'll put the sheep on my right and the goats on my left. And then I, the king, will say to those on my right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then about the goats, he says to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is real stuff. He wants us to take it seriously. It's an act of love and mercy that he says, you got a choice. Take the choice, the good one. Receive my love. What prison do you want to trade for eternal freedom tonight? The basic sins that are pointed out in this text that we just read were we choose not to glorify God. We choose to glorify ourselves. 
We don't thank God for always provided for us. We think it's up to us to provide for ourselves. And what is the result? Well, we read about it. Our thinking gets dark and self-focused. We scramble around trying to make ourselves feel better because we don't go to God to, to have our needs met. We get stuck in all sorts of prisons we create for ourselves because we choose to do things that feel good for a moment and then make us feel not so good for a long, long while. We exchange God for an idol of our own making. We are the Gentiles, and our culture and sin patterns are quite similar to those of Romans' day. Now, I want you to listen to this next thing I'm going to say. I want to be very clear that what I'm going to say about sex in my teaching tonight is a reflection of my own personal study, my own personal understanding of what the Scripture says. I believe especially in America today, and especially on college campuses, we are stuck in sexual immorality of a multitude of size and shapes. And God longs for us to experience his kind of loving sexual expression, not the kind of expression of our society, which hurts us in the long run. Three times Paul has to say, God gave them over. That is a way of saying God let them become prisoners. Verse 24, to their desires. Verse 26, to their lust. 28, to their their dark thinking. And what does Paul do next? He points out a huge sin category in Rome and a huge sin category on this campus in our culture today. He says, from God's perspective, all forms of the homosexual thoughts and actions are wrong. Scripture is clear that women having sex with women is wrong. Men having sex with men is wrong. And men having sex with women outside of marriage is wrong. God has a way more loving and safe and secure way for heterosexual sex to happen in marriage. This is his plan. It's a good plan. And it's something God wants us to seek. And I want you to know I have a great deal of sensitivity and compassion about this whole topic. Because my brother died a year and a month ago. Not only from alcoholism, but most likely from AIDS, because he was a homosexual his whole life. I love my brother. And I am sad. The path he chose And I love the gay community on this campus. I want them to know the love of Jesus. And I want us to love everybody in this campus, whatever group they're in. Because they need the love of God. But there's also a way that God says we ought to do things. And we have to own up to that. We have to kind of say, our culture says everything's okay. But we have to disagree politely and say, no. God's got a a wiser way. These kind of sins, these sexual sins, go pretty deep. But great news. God promises to forgive. God promises to cleanse any sin that we have ever done or are doing or ever will do when we come to him. If we confess our sins, he's faithful to us. He's just. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of what his son Jesus did on that cross. 
In verses 29 and 30, Paul gives us a really big list of sins. It's hard to dodge that list. Didn't you see yourself in there somewhere? I did. He wants to make his readers sure that they understand every single person is a sinner in one way or another. And each sin puts them on the outs with God. And each of those sins makes God angry enough to take drastic action to rescue them. We have the wrong idea about God's anger. We think that God is out to get us. No, God gets angry enough to rescue us. He says, I'm not going to let this sin go on anymore. It's hurting people. He says, I will kill my own son if that's what it takes. And then I will raise him from the dead. Did you hear that? God is angry enough to rescue you. Mm. In conclusion, verse 32 sums up the reality that we in our campus are drowning. It says it this way, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. The message of Romans 1 is not just for the Romans. It's for you and I tonight. So what are we going to do with it? Will we leave our self-directed story to join his Jesus-directed story? I hope we will. I hope we'll choose that every day. I suggest we choose the lifeguard and choose not to drown. Will you put your faith in Jesus tonight to free you from something, to forgive you for something, and set his spirit alive in you to help you live God's way? I suggest we accept our team captain, Captain Jesus, and allow him to coach us and lead us in the way, even though it will be difficult at times. And I suggest we admit our wrongdoing, just like Kurt did, and allow God to change our hearts Kurt's marriage was restored. Whatever is screwed up in my life and yours, God will change and restore and heal. He is good at it. With Jesus, all things can be made right. And tonight's message is one of love. He loves us. He loves you. God wants you to know he will help you. He will heal you. He will give you hope. Will you take advantage of what he is offering tonight? Let's pray as the worship team comes.